Well, last week we were on uh, a quick vacation trip, and I invited Pastor Danny Lopez, and he preached, and I was, we were able to watch online last week. Man, did he bring the word last week, huh? And he really knocked it out. I texted him, I said, Danny, you knocked it out of the park, brother, and then I sent him a little meme. I said, man, you did a great job, so... I'm thankful that we have some good preachers, a part of the New Life team that we can invite, and uh, God is faithful. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for being who you are. We thank you that you don't change. You're constant. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that we can trust you at your word that you are faithful and true, that when life is a storm and when it's out of control, we know that we can still trust you. We can trust your word. And we know that we can put our whole faith completely and totally in you and that you can transform our heart in only the way that you can. And so, Father, today as we open up your word, your scripture, we, we admit that it's powerful we admit that it li it's life-transforming. We admit that it's a light to our feet. And we ask that you would guide us as we study your word so that we could be faithful followers of you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Finish this statement for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... He had a couple different versions out there. I don't know what schools you guys went to, but <laughs> sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, that's a fun saying to repeat and say, and it's got a little rhyme in there, but we know that that's not true, right? We know that sticks and stones hurt, but we know that even more damaging can actually be words. Words that are said to us by our parents, by our friends, by our neighbors, by a teacher that years later can still linger in your mind, be part of who you are, um, have attached themselves to your identity, and you carry around, whether you like it or not, often we carry around the words that people have spoken about us. Words are powerful. The Bible talks about the power of life and death is in, right, words. And as we've been going through the Ten Commandments, we've been looking at... Um, these Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, in Exodus chapter 20, and we've been looking at the purpose and the heart behind the commandments. A lot of times people come to the Ten Commandments and they say, well, that's great, Pastor, but it's not in the New Testament, or Pastor, that's great, but that's kind of, that was for another day, another time. But behind every command, we've been talking about this every week, is the heart of God ultimately. Behind every command, it helps you understand God's heart and what God intended and what God thinks and feels about people and how we should treat one another. Today, we're jumping into commandment number nine. And commandment number nine has everything to do with the words that we speak. Commandment number nine is this. Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. 
Every command that's stated that we see in Exodus chapter 20, the way it's stated is always the fullest, the fullest expression of what that sin is, the worst way that sin can be done. The sixth command says, thou shalt not murder. And murder is the ultimate act. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Murder is the ultimate act of the sixth command of sin. It's the worst you can do, the worst violation of the sixth command. But Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament and says, hey, hey, it's not just about murder. It's also about anger. Murder may be the most extreme form or the fullest expression of the sixth commandment, but anger is also sin. It can also be sin when you have it and you hold it against people and it turns into bitterness. Adultery is the fullest expression of the seventh command, but Jesus says that lust is also a violation of that command. It's not just about cheating on your wife, Jesus says, but hey, listen, if you lust after somebody with your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. Why does God point to these principles? It's because God is not just concerned. Here's the big thing. God Almighty is not simply concerned with the outward action, but the inward heart. God does not want you just to follow a list of rules. God wants us to be transformed from the inside out that even if we didn't have the Ten Commandments in front of us, the person that we are at the core has been so transformed that we don't need a list of rules because the person that we are is transformed by the Spirit of God and lives the way that God calls us to. It's always about the heart with God. God cares about the heart and the motive and the reason why. The ninth command, which we jump into today, the fullest expression of the ninth command, the furthest, the, the most wrong it can be, is actually to bear false witness in court. So go into a courtroom, be a witness against somebody, and to lie at the stand is the fullest extent of the ninth command. But really underneath it, the general principle is that lying is not the way that God's called us to live. God is faithful and true, and God has called us to be faithful and true. That's the principle. God's saying, hey, as my child, I want you to reflect me. The Bible says you are God's ambassador. He says you represent me. And he says, because I am faithful and true, I want you to be faithful and true. And so the ninth commandment is not just about court. You get called in to be a witness for somebody because you saw something, but it's about our everyday life and speech to one another. Why do we lie? Well, there's a lot of reasons why we lie. We lie to save face. We lie to avoid hurting other people's feelings. We lie to impress others. We lie to get out of work. Actually, eating out of work is one of the biggest ways that people lie. They did one survey of 1,000 people and found that 96% of people lie to get out of work. Don't raise your hand if you've lied to get out of work recently. Don't raise your hand. I'm not, I'm not looking. The University of Massachusetts said 60 percent of adults 
couldn't hold a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. Some of you are trying to scroll through the last conversation you had. What did they say? Did they go to Cuba? Where did they go? And it's actually been interesting as um, technology has gotten better and um, we've been able to study the effects of different things on the brain. They've actually done some amazing studies on how lying affects the brain. And here's what they've come to the conclusion of. The more that you lie, it actually changes your brain at a chemical level and makes it easier for you to lie in the future. That's kind of scary. They've also found that the, the, the person that lies often, the mind is very stressed and feels a lot of guilt when you lie. Adversely, these are secular studies. When you speak the truth, they found that the mind is much more in a peaceful state. Takes a lot of work to lie, right? Sometimes our lies become on top of lies, on top of lies, on top of lies, and we can't even remember the original version of the story because we've lied so much. Men lie more often to impress. How tall are you? I'm six footish, ish, six, six, five of eleven and four quarters. Women often lie to avoid hurting other people's feelings. Do I look nice in this dress? Yeah. Lying can become something that's so prevalent in our society. It can become something that we almost can become second nature to us, something that is filled and almost, according to studies, almost every conversation that we have, people often are lying. And a lot of times when people lie, it goes right over our head, or when we lie to somebody else, it goes right over theirs, and they're unaware of it. But let me say something this morning. God is not just concerned with the action. God is concerned with the heart. God is not just concerned with whether somebody caught your lie or not. God is concerned with, are you lying and why are you lying? And so as we dive into this day, what we're diving into is there's a ton of stories in the Bible that talk about lying. And there's this one, I've never preached on this story before. Some of you have heard it. Some of you have probably never heard this story. To be honest with you, if I didn't know if some of the names were changed, I would probably think this story is in the Old Testament. God deals with this situation so severely. In the Old Testament, oftentimes God would kill people for their sin. The Israelites are complaining in the desert. He opens the ground, swallows them, and they die. A New Testament, we don't see a lot of that. But in this passage, this is New Testament, early church experience, and God actually kills somebody because of their lie. Join me in Exodus, I mean, Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, the first major example of lying in the early church. Now, just to put, let you know where we are in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we've gone through the Gospels, Jesus has died on the cross for the sins of the world, risen in three days, tells, the, tells his disciples the Great Commission, and then ascends unto heaven. And the church, that's us, was started. And the church is moving. They're making disciples. And Acts chapter 5 comes in the middle of the church making movement, making disciples, seeing miracles and breakthroughs are happening all over the place. And yet this sin creeps in right to the church. Acts chapter 5. 
But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the disciples' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but lied to God. So here's the story. There's these two people that we would, for all we know, they're believers. We see in Acts chapter 4, the believers are gathering together almost on a daily basis. They're praying, they're worshiping, they're getting into the word together. And in that context, we run into these two characters here, Ananias, the man, and Sapphira, his wife. Now, we see in Acts chapter 4, and even earlier in Acts chapter 2, but in Acts chapter 4, we see an example of what the early church was doing. We see a picture of the early church's generosity. People were literally taking their possessions and selling them, taking the money and giving it to the church to advance the mission of the gospel. People were selling land, property, anything that they had of value because they're like, hey, life's short, let's sell this money, I don't need this, and let's use it to reach more people for Jesus. That's great, love that. And Ananias and Sapphira, have been seeing this and decide, hey, this is something that we want to do as well. So they take a piece of their property, they sell their property off, and then they bring the proceeds to Peter. Here was the problem. The problem wasn't that they didn't give 100% of the money. They could have given 75% if they want. They could have decided to give 25%. You see Peter say that. Peter says, hey, listen, when, before you sold it and after you sold it, the money was yours. You could have chose to do or give any amount or none to the church. It was yours to decide. The issue was not the amount he gave. The issue was that Ananiah, Ananiah and Sapphira had tricked or lied to Peter acting like they were bringing the whole amount of money, they were lying when they were really holding some of it back for themselves. And you may ask yourself, why would they do that? If you sold your car and you brought it and said, hey, Pastor Josiah, I sold my car and here's five grand, you know, use it for the youth, use it for the church, I'd say, wow, what an act of faith. Wow, that's generous. You can do whatever you want with that five grand. You can not give any of it to the church. You could give a thousand. But to lie and act like you're giving the full amount when you're really holding some of it back is a heinous sin. Peter, Ananias comes to Peter, 
And obviously, Peter does not know how much the property was sold for, but the Spirit of God gave him supernatural wisdom and insight to know that this man in front of him was, was, was lying to him. Think about that. The Spirit of God, in a supernatural way, gave the apostle Peter understanding in his mind of something that he did not know, to know that the man that was standing in front of him was lying to him, saying that this was the full amount. The danger of Ananias and Sapphira is the same danger that all of us face. It's when we make our image our God. You know, we were made in the image of God, but it's very easy to make our image, our reputation, what people think about us, the most important thing in our life. How silly of Ananias and Sapphira to think that Almighty God did not see their actions. They brought this gift to Peter thinking, hey, we are going to give this gift. People are going to see us. The apostle Peter is going to be here. And you know what? The whole, all the Christians are going to think, wow, look at how generous these Christians are. Look at how righteous Ananias and Sapphira, they gave all the money. Wow, those Christians, they're really, they thought they were going to get away with it. They thought they were going to fool the apostles. They were blinded by their pride to think that they could get by with a lie and that Almighty God wouldn't notice. God saw their lie and let Peter know that Ananias had lied about the amount. And Peter's first word that he speaks to Ananias says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Listen to his wording. Not to lie to the church or lie to me, the apostle Peter, or lie to all the you know, Christians here. He says, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Lie to the Holy Spirit. What do you, what do you, why, why does he say that? See, one of the things that this passage right here is confirming to us or showing us that other places of Scripture show us is that each and every person that's a Christian has the Holy Spirit of God inside of them. Let me be very clear with you this morning because sometimes different things are taught and I want to just make sure that this church, my family, knows the truth of the Word of God. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. It doesn't exist. Uh, when you come to Jesus, you realize you've sinned. You call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, and there's an action. You are changed in a moment. You're forgiven of your sins in but an instance. The Bible says this literal trend, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But he also gives you something very powerful that will transform you day to day to day. He gives you the comforter the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, listen, I need to go to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come and be with you at all times. 
See, Jesus was here in a very physical way. He could only be with people in that physical way while he was here on earth. He needed to send his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, what a gift he has given us. His Holy Spirit inside of us. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to help you understand the deeper truths of God's word. You understand that? That if you are a Christian, you have a spirit that lives inside of your body different than people that are not a Christian? It's different from your own spirit. It is actually the spirit of almighty God living within you. And God is here saying, hey, I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to help you understand scripture. I'm going to help you change, not to be a better version of yourself, but to be more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the agent of change inside of us that is constantly transforming us, convicting us, encouraging us, praying on our behalf, praying on our behalf to God Almighty himself, praying on our behalf so that we continue to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. When you act wrongly against somebody because they're made, even if they're not a believer, because they're made in the image of God, you have gone against God because it's made in the image of God. But specifically, and even more so, when you sin against another Christian, you're also sinning against God himself because the Holy Spirit resides within that person. When you lie to somebody else face to face, You're not just looking that person in their eyes, but if they're a Christian, you're lying to the presence of God that lives within them as well. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, Ananias, Satan has so filled your heart. The wording there, what he means is you've allowed Satan to influence your mind, your thinking, so that you go forward with something that's an unholy act, a wrong act. You've allowed Satan to play with your mind. How many of us allow Satan to play with our mind? You know, Satan and demons, sometimes Christians are afraid, well, what if... A demon comes inside. The Bible is very clear that if you're a Christian saved and washed and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, that another spirit, whether it's Satan or a demonic, a demonic spirit, cannot possess you or come into your body. Very clear. Bunch of places in the New Testament. But Satan can mess with your mind. Satan, here's what Satan knows. Man, is he smart. Satan knows if he can mess with what you believe and your thinking, that he could ultimately direct your life. That if Satan can influence the way you think about people, if Satan can influence the things you believe about yourself, if Satan can influence and manipulate the way that you think about God's word, he can control your life. He can make you live a miserable life where you're just totally consumed with guilt about what you've done instead of understanding the truth of the word of God that you are forgiven and washed by the blood of Jesus because you've allowed Satan to influence your mind. At the same time, so Peter acknowledges, hey, you've allowed, this is an instance where Satan has influenced your mind. At the same time, Satan is not in every wrong or everything that goes wrong on our planet. Sometimes I run into people and say, Pastor, I was 
I was attacked by Satan today. I said, what happened? What? Tell me. I was driving down Cicero, my tire blew out, and I just felt like it was Satan. That was probably, you just need to get your tires checked more often. Not, I, I, I'm pretty sure Satan has more important things to do than to pop your tires. Pastor, I feel this ache. Would you cast Satan out of my elbow here? Just cast him out. Pastor, cast him out. Like, that's you just worked out too hard yesterday. That's, sometimes we as Christians give too much credit to Satan. Everything that goes, oh, it's Satan, we gotta cast out Satan, we gotta this, Satan, and this. Satan cannot be everywhere at once. And let me say this too, because sometimes I see Christians, I, I, I like the, the image is cool, like, but, but let me say this, because sometimes people think that, you know, God and Satan are in this like arm wrestling match for humanity. You know, like they're equal forces and it's good for Jesus. Like, by the way, Jesus always has like this huge bicep, right? His bicep, just like huge bicep. He's here and Satan's over here. He's looking all angry. Can I tell you, the battle's been won already. Yeah. It's not an equal match that's going down. Satan is a created being. Jesus is the creator of all. He's always existed. He's supreme and powerful over everything and anything, even over Satan. The only reason Satan is allowed to wander the earth is because God allows it for a period of time, but even that, he's under the authority. Think about that, the power and the authority. If Jesus right now wanted to wrap Satan up and throw him in the, hell, the pit of fire, the, the pit of fire, the, the lake of fire, he could do it right here in this instant, in this moment. He's allotted things for a certain period of time. There's a testing period going on on earth right now. There's a trying of people's minds. Satan's not behind everything, but he is behind some things. And he does influence our minds sometimes. And in this case, he influenced Hananias' mind to go forward with lying to the apostle Peter. It was a good act done in the wrong way. And the right thing done in the wrong way is always wrong. The right thing done in the wrong way, always wrong. Always wrong. This was a great act. But you know what? You can worship with your hands raised, which is a great thing, a sign of surrender, and you can do it with the wrong heart and make that something that's not desirable to God. You're worshiping for other people. Got your worship going on however people are worshiping these days. You're worshiping, I'm all, express it how you wanna express it, go for it. But if your worship is more about the person around you, next to you, in front of you, and behind you, worship is a sacred, holy act. But if your worship is more about what people see in you, what they think about you, by the time worship's over, you're sweating, dripping down, you gotta bring a bucket, you're wiping your forehead. People are like, whoa, that person right there. I wanna get to the point where I sweat during worship. <laughs> Even a good act like that, done with the wrong heart, is wrong before God. And Jesus says it so beautifully. He says this. He's talking about, we're talking about the action of Ananias. What led to this? Jesus says um, in Matthew 6, 1, be careful. Warning. Listen. Watch out. Be careful. Watch out for that cliff. You could fall. Be careful. What? Jesus, be careful about what? Be careful 
not to practice your righteousness, your good deeds in front of others, to be seen by them. Ananias and Sapphira, their sin was a sin of pride that expressed itself through lying. They wanted to be seen by others. They wanted to be viewed in a certain way by other people around them, and they were willing to do anything because their God was their image, and so they would lie and give an amount, lie about the amount that they were giving because they wanted to be perceived in a certain way before other people. They were more concerned with the opinions of people than the opinion of God. Anytime you want to know a danger zone for us, anytime your life is more consumed and circled around the, the idea or the, the, the reality of people's opinions than what God thinks about you, you will always compromise your faith. Because there's sometimes in our faith, Christians, where we have to do things that are not popular. Sometimes it's more important to be like him than to be likable. And there's times where we have to lay down the, what other people think about us and do what's right, even when it's not popular, because you are called to be a son and a daughter of God. You are not like everybody else around you. God is holy and has called you to be holy. That means he's different and you are too. Sometimes when I go places with people that aren't believers, Often, I don't do what they do. I remember going on a trip with some friends and you know, we hung out the whole day. It was a lot of fun and I had to make a decision at night. They all said, hey, you know, they're all been drinking all day. Hey, we're gonna go to the club on the resort right now. And I'm like, okay, well, adios, amigo. See you later, I'm going back to my room. You're not gonna come with us? No, you guys know who I am. I'm, and it's not because I'm a pastor either. It's because I'm a follower of Jesus. Because I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm not going to put myself in an environment that may tempt me. Some of you wonder why you are wrestling so much with temptation in your life. It's because you keep putting yourself in the wrong environment. Even a strong person in the wrong environment can lead to detriment. And so understand and acknowledge your weakness and say, hey, I'm growing in my faith, but I love Jesus and I don't want to compromise, so I'm not going to put myself in that environment. Hey, you know what? That's not the popular thing to do. Hey, you know what? That's not the thing that's going to get me most liked. But you know what? I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And you know what? God is concerned with our heart. He says, you have lied not to man, but to God. You know, anytime that we speak lies, we are speaking the native language of Satan. Listen to what John chapter 8, verse 44 says. This is speaking about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, this is Satan, when he lies, he speaks his native language the language that's most familiar to him, his home language, feels most comfortable speaking lies. For he is a liar and a father of lies. And let me tell you this, when we speak lies, we are agreeing with Satan in his native tongue. 
When we speak lies, we're agreeing with the father of lies. When we speak lies, we're speaking the language of the sworn enemy of God. When we speak lies, we are speaking, saying, initiating the same language that Satan speaks, knows his native tongue, and as a believer, should be far from our mouth. So Peter says, listen, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit? You could have done anything with the money that you wanted, Ananias. How could you lie to God? You're not lying to me. You're lying to God. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last breath. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. I think that Peter was probably the most surprised. Peter didn't say, hey, you lied. God, strike him now. That's not in the text here. He's like, how could you have lied? You didn't lie to man. You lied to God. And immediately, Ananias falls to the ground, breathes his last breath, and is dead. This was not a curse from Peter. This was an act of God. In the New Testament, the book of Acts, part of the same church that we are part of, the early church, and he struck down for an action that we perceive often as so common. Lying. I think that when we hear this and see this, just like it put some fear in the early believers, some reverence, some respect for God's holiness, I think that we as Christians should have a little reverence, a little bit more reverence and respect for speaking truth after this. That if God was so upset had such a problem with this lie, whether however you view it, that he was willing to take this man's life away, should we not have more reverence and awe and respect? Should we not be as far away from the language, the native language of the devil as we possibly can be because God has called us to truth? Lying is a serious thing, even in a culture that views it as something as nominal. Lying before a holy and righteous God is a massive deal, even in a world that says, yeah, that's just everyone does it. There's a time and place. Verse 7, Ananias dies. They drag his body, bury him. Verse 7, after an interval of three hours, here's his wife. His wife came in, not knowing what had happened. So a lot of people are aware that she, that her husband just died, but she has no clue. For whatever reason, she was doing something, her mind was preoccupied, she didn't hear. I don't know if everyone's just looking at her and she's like, well, it must be a good outfit, but people are just watching her like, yo, your husband. But she like, she shows up here to Peter and Peter tests her a little bit. He wants to see where her heart is at. You know, my dad would do this often with me. I, you, by God's grace, I've really been able to, you know, overcome an area of my life that I really struggled with growing up, lying. Um, but I would lie about everything and anything. I would lie about this. I'd lie about that. 
Sometimes I didn't want to eat my lunch because I always ate the same, if you know me, the same boring, plain turkey sandwich every day. I would lie about that, like, yeah, no, I ate it, like, it was so good, mmm. And there was one day where my cousin had given me these Pokemon cards, and I was young, in this, like, Pokemon ball thing. They're probably worth, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars now. Thanks, Dad. And um, my dad found the cards that I'd hidden in the guest room, and I didn't know. And he wanted to test me a little bit. And so he came out, and I'm, he's like, hey, Josiah, so, you know, you haven't gotten any Pokemon cards yet, right? Because we talked about that. I was like, no, Dad, like, of course, like, you know, Christian to the core, like, no, like, I didn't do that. No way. No, not me. And it's like that dramatic scene in the movie where there's a big reveal. He goes, well, what are these? <laughs> and it's like, you've ever been caught in that moment? It's just like everything freezes. Your blood just rushes to your head. You're like, think of something, think of something. How did he find them? Where are they going? And, and then just like this whole moment happens. And he's like, what are these? And I'm like, man, my sister Marissa, she must have gotten like in a Pokemon. Or He was like not buying it. He's like, Josiah, what are these? We talked about this. You're not supposed to have these. And I was like, I know, like you caught me. Like, my cousin gave them to me. I've been smuggling Pokemon cards. <laughs> I wanted these cards, and I, I lied to you. And then he gave me the father, like, hey, Josiah, you're not, you know, we're, we're, you know, men of God, and men of God don't lie. We speak the truth, and gave me the whole speech. And then he made me cut the cards up. I don't know if I won that level. I would say, hey, let's put them away until I'm older. But he just like, okay, snip, snip, snap, snap. And I may have cried a little bit. But he was testing me, wanted to see how I was going to respond. Here it is, Josiah, here's your chance. I know that you lied, but I want you to, I want you to own up to it. Here it is. What's your heart? Where are you at? And Peter does the same thing. He says, tell me, he's talking to the wife, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, here's her answer, her opportunity, no. She says, yes, for so much. That was the amount, Peter, full deal. We brought it all here. I'm sure she's ready to be patted and just like, wow, you're, but Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together with her husband to test the spirit of the Lord? Husbands and wives, just because in a relationship, I think there's a, something to speak to here just because your husband wants to do something or a wife wants to do something, if it's wrong in the eyes of God, don't do it. You have profound influence upon one another, just like you have profound influence upon your friends, upon your family, and you have the power to be able to influence people around you, and sometimes it just takes a strong wife or a strong husband to say, hey, listen, hey, let's go, let's go do this. Say, no, 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 we, we don't do that anymore. That was the old us. Let's face the consequences. Some of you guys would be shocked if your spouse said that, but, but just, hey, listen, we're, we're not that person anymore. Some of you guys need to look each other in the eye and hold each other accountable to the life that you've been called to live. The ecclesia, the word church, means the called out ones. You are different. Yeah. And spouses, you are one in the eyes of, of God. 
And so hold each other accountable and say, hey, listen, we're not going to live that way. That's how we used to live. That's how we used to talk. Now we own up. We speak the truth. We're people of worth and value. We're people of God. We don't live like that anymore. We live like the people of God. I wish Ananias or Sapphira would have spoken up to one, would have, would have had the courage to say, hey, hey, let's sell the product. No, 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 let's, let's give all of it or let's, let's be honest, but let's not lie about how much we're giving. It could have meant the difference in if they are alive longer or not. The next verse says, she lies to him and this is what he said. What a chilling statement this is. A human being heard these words to them. In, in reality, behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last breath. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. What was God's purpose in doing this? Why was he so severe? I think that God was trying to preserve and protect the purity of an early church that was small and growing. I think that lying in a lot of our minds is one of the lower least sins, and I think lying in God's mind is a major deal. And I think that God knew how quickly a community of people, how quickly families, how quickly relationships could be destroyed, tarnished by when lying just takes root in it. And God's saying, listen, everyone else around you is lying to one another, but my people, my community, my church, my bride will not be that type of people. And you need to know because it's breaking out, there's people in your church who are bringing money and lying about it. They're bringing money to me and lying to you, and I won't tolerate it. And I want you to see a sign. I want you to know how serious of a God I am about this. Dead, dead. Imagine the whispers around the camp. Believers, most scholars would believe that Ananias and Sapphira are Christians. It's a weird conversation when they went right to heaven. Like, think about that. These are Christians. And God is like, I, even as Christians, I will not tolerate the lying that's on your lips. Gone, gone. Do you guys see? Are you aware now of how serious I am about lying? There's actually six things that scripture talks about that God hates. I know we talk about God's love so often, but there's six things. Two of the six are one is a lying tongue and the other one is a false witness who pours out lies. Two of the six things that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, hates are lies. He is so serious about you and I leaving that old stuff behind and living out of the newness that we are in Christ speaking truth. And I leave you with this final verse, this final encouraging verse. Colossians talks about the way that we should live, the way us as Christians, the called out ones, the new creations in Christ, how we are called to live. It says this, do not lie to each other. Don't lie 
because you're embarrassed. Don't lie to get out of trouble. Don't lie to not go to work. Don't lie. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. He's saying, listen, the old you is dead. That's how you used to be. Before you knew me, that's how you used to function. You would lie to get ahead. You would lie to get out of things. You would lie uh, to, to change people's perception of you. But that was the old you. You've gotten rid of the old you. You're new in me. You've taken off the old self with its practices, with its actions, with its deeds, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, made new every single day. The new self is new in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Our new self is made new and renewed and refreshed when we remember the knowledge of who God is. That Jesus said, I am the way, the what? I am the way, the truth. I am the truth. Everything that exudes from me is true, is faithful. I am true. The Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. Not just he doesn't do it, but it's impossible. And, and he's saying, hey, listen, you are my children. I've made you new, and I want you to renew yourself in my image. Speak truth. Leave the lies behind. That was the old you. Even when it cost you, even when it's unpopular, even when it makes you look a certain way, even when you blew it and you failed and you really did sin in another way and people call you out from it, don't lie about it. Own it because you're different now. You are a follower of Jesus who's been made new. And when you're made new, you speak a new language. Let's stand. Statistics tell us that the majority of the people in this room, the majority of us, wrestle with this sin. You know, I've been walking with Jesus for some time, and there's different ways you can kind of gauge where your heart's at. One of the ways I gauge is how easy it is for me to worship. If I find it hard for me to worship, it typically means that I'm, something's going on in my heart, my heart's hardening, or... There's something, I should, I should be able to freely worship. Maybe it's unforgiveness in my heart. It's one of the indicators. Can I tell you one of the other ones that helps me, an indicator you can use as well, is if I lie, if I slip out a lie, something comes out and I lie and I don't feel conviction anymore about it. It's one of the indicators that my heart has gotten hard. I remember going through a, a time I was... I just, I don't know if it's fasting or what we did, but we, I was just, I confessed all these sins that I've lied and I've done this and I've done that. And confession is like this, you know, James, sees, James actually says there's healing that comes with confession. And I remember the next day, this is kind of a funny story. I, I remember the next day I was kind of like excited that I had lied. Now let me explain. I told my dad I got in the car, I was like, um, 
I said, Dad, I, I, I wasn't even trying to, and I just kind of said something quick, and I lied. And, and I said, and I was kind of like, but, you know, kind of like, but it's kind of good. And he's like, well, lying's bad, Josiah. And I said, no, 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 I know. But he said, I said, I repented from it, but I said, you know what was crazy, Dad, is I felt conviction again. I said, I felt conviction again. And I said, you know how long it had been since I had felt conviction in my soul about a lie? And I said, I just knew that it was like a, a, like a soul-cleansing exercise where I just confessed this. And I sinned again. You're going to blow it. I'm going to blow it. It's going to happen. But to feel the presence of God upon my life and just saying, Josiah, I want you to feel. I want you to feel for a moment how long that is. And I want that conviction of my Holy Spirit to turn you to truth. To turn you to truth. And God's been able to just, you know, it's always, you know, time here and there, but God is consistently, something that I really used to struggle with, has given me victory in that area by His Spirit. And it's easy to get caught into a cycle of lying to people around us, lying to our spouse, lying to our coworkers, lying to this. But that's the old you. The old you didn't care who got hurt by lies. The old you would lie to get ahead in this, but, but you now are a new creation. Speak the language of God, truth. Even when it costs you, commit to say, God, I wanna feel the conviction even when I lie again so that I can turn back to you and say, God, I wanna speak in the way you've called me to clean my heart out. Clean my heart. And I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna have this. First service, I had people raise their hands. I had like everybody raise their hands, but I wanna have a, a different step this service. If you're committing to say, God, I really need to get this area, I, I really need to get it under you, and I just wanna be someone that speaks truth. At all moments, at all times, speak truth. We're gonna worship here, but we have an altar Nothing magical or special about this, but it's a place to encounter God and to say, God, just have a conversation with God. That we, we have people kneel because it's an act of surrender. And we know that the Bible says, when two or more are gathered of my name, I am there with them. And so if you're committing to say, hey, I'm gonna be speaking, I'm gonna speak in truth. I'm no longer gonna follow those old practices, but today I commit to speaking in truth to everybody, even when it costs me. When we sing, I wanna invite you forward. This altar is just open on either side for you just to kneel down and just pray. Say, God, purify my heart. And so I wanna invite you forward right now. We're gonna sing right now, but if that's you and you know you need to do it, there's a lot of people in this room. First service, I had almost, almost every hand was raised in the auditorium of people saying, I need to commit myself to truth. And God is pleased when we come in a humble way before him and say, just clean up my heart. So if that's you, I want you to just come forward and say, God, let me speak truth, God. Let me feel your conviction again, soften my heart. If that's you, I want you to come forward. Just let them, just let them work right now. Let them work in your heart. You know you need to come. Just, just take that step. Don't be worried about who's looking. Don't let your pride hold you from sitting. Just, I'm just gonna come forward, God. I don't care if people see me because I'm more concerned with what you think about me than what other people think about. I'm more concerned with my relationship 
with you. Let's sing.